Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Rhythms, a series exploring the essence of Christian life, asking, who am I becoming? It's about personal formation, shaping our lives with Christian values, moving beyond the mere thoughts of God to practical habits and disciplines that mirror Jesus. These are our Rhythms. We pray this message is a blessing. Hey, good morning, church. Guys, 8am was way better than that. Just gotta let you know, it's not a competition, but uh, there are points involved. Good morning, church. Hope you're doing well online. My name is Michael. I realise we've got a bunch of new people in the room, so we don't usually introduce ourselves this way, but it's just helpful to know what different people do. I'm the lead minister here um, at New Life. We've got uh, one church here on the Gold Coast. We've got a bunch of churches across South East Queensland, part of our family. And uh, we're really passionate about one thing here at New Life, seeing more people become more like Jesus by planting and leading local thriving churches. So if you're new here today, a massive welcome to you. I'd love to share a coffee with you in the courtyard afterwards. But if you've come to church today, you've come in the middle of our rhythm series. And rhythms is really just our way of yearly asking the question, what rhythms of your life are forming you? The answer is actually every rhythm, every habitual thing we do forms us. The most important question that we as disciples and humans can ask is not what should I do, but who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? And the person you're becoming, whether you're 13 in the room or can't wait for youth camp tomorrow or 120 in the room, in which case I'd love to meet you afterwards. Either way, the things you do daily, the repeated rhythmic behaviours of your life are forming you and shaping you even stronger than any New Year's resolution that you've made in 2024. So what are the rhythms of your world? Pastor Anna spoke last week powerfully and beautifully about the rhythm of meditation on Scripture. And today I have the pleasure of preaching on a topic I've never talked on before, the rhythm of secrecy. I'm gonna play some Chinese whispers in church today. Amen. Yeah, I didn't think it was a good joke either. So why don't you guys grab and stand to your feet. Uh, if you wanna do that real fast, I'm gonna start a little bit differently today. If you wanna stand to your feet. And if you are online, why don't I challenge you to stand to your feet as well, uh, which would be great. We're gonna read from the book of Matthew today. And uh, standing to our feet just changes the blood flow for us, focuses our attention. We're gonna read from God's Word and we're reading from the Sermon on the Mount, possibly the greatest sermon ever written by the greatest leader, man, Saviour, and who we believe is God ever to walk this earth, Jesus Christ. We begin today's Scripture reading, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful. Everyone say careful. Not to practise your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Everyone say secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you pray, go in your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your Name. Your Kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And we land the plane with three verses. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put your oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in, everyone say secret, will reward you. This is the Word of the Lord. Stay standing as we pray. Gracious God, whether we're joining together online or in the room, we pause and just acknowledge that You are present here with us. Lord, I thank You for the gift of Your Word written thousands of years ago and speaking through the ages to us this morning. Holy Spirit, may Your Word come alive in our hearts. May it form us and shape us into who You're calling us to be. Less of me, more of you and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. Grab yourself a seat. How good would it be if I'm like, and stay standing for the rest of the sermon. Let's make it sure one. Eight years ago, um, I was the youth pastor um, here at New Life Church and I had the great opportunity to go travelling to uh, discover and, and like research and learn from some of the great churches over in the United States. Uh, it was a very different time over in the United States back then. Eight years has changed a lot. But eight years ago, I was really interested by what God was doing. There was one church that had always been really inspired by their youth ministry. And so I went there and I met with the youth pastor who was like a global kind of renowned youth ministry leader. He had about a thousand young people in his church, uh, in his youth ministry. And it wasn't just hype, it was discipleship. It was deep, it was community, it was good. I was like, what's going on, God? How can I learn? I went and I spent a full day with him and just followed him around, asked him questions. We had lunch together. And at the end of the day, I remember thinking to myself, I'm, I just wanna make sure I've squeezed every wisdom I can from him before I go, because we're probably never gonna see each other again. And lo and behold, we haven't. And so I said to him, you know, uh, Josh, if you could give me one piece of advice, if you would go back in time to when you were my age doing what I'm doing, what would you tell someone like me? What would you tell yourself if you do it all again? He said, that's easy. Now that's a pretty big question. Can you imagine going up to everyone and saying, give me one piece of advice before you never see me ever again? You're like, that's a lot of weight. And he says, Michael, two things. Number one, you need to be a leadership factory, not a stockpile. I'm like, what? He's like, you need to develop leaders, not for your church or your ministry, but for the Kingdom of God. Develop great leaders and send them into the world wherever they need to be used. I'm like, wow, that's a sermon for a different time, but that was a great piece of advice. I said, what's number two? He said this, how long have you been a Christian for, Michael? I'm like, oh, I was raised in a Christian home most of my life. He said, okay, only you will know how real your relationship with God is. I'm like, I didn't quite understand. He said, Michael, you will know how to perform, that people will think the tears are real, the raised hands are honest, and your passion is authentic whilst you might be living a completely different life. Only you will know. Make sure it's real between you and God. 
those words have kept me, haunted me, guided me, given me wisdom over many years now. But ultimately what he was asking is, Michael, be careful of performing. This wasn't just advice he was giving to some young youth pastor. It was a diagnosis of the human condition. We perform, don't we? We perform, don't we? We live in a world where we are taught to curate our image. You've rocked up to church today. You don't look like you looked when you hopped out of bed. Why? Because we curate and we're very thankful for that. Thank you. But we curate our image. We curate who we are so that the world sees us the way we wanna be seen. And there's more than just the superficial way we dress. It's actually the way we act, isn't it? It's not just a problem of a youth pastor. It's a problem of humanity. Our Instagram feeds, our reels, our stories, the way we talk about our kids at drop off, the way we talk about our families, the way we talk about our lives if we're singles at work or if we're married, how we talk about our romance. We curate our world so people receive us the way we wanna be received. And the problem is, is not only is it not real, but it flows into our relationship with God where we are able to pretend and it's dangerous. And what Jesus is talking about in today's Scripture, it is about giving to the poor, which is a beautiful thing and something we should be doing regularly. It is about praying. It is about fasting. And we've spent time on each of these parts of Scripture as singular thoughts over the last couple of years. But today there is a meta-narrative that Jesus is trying to answer and confront by ultimately asking this question, who are you performing for? Who are you performing for? It's a beautiful question. And he's really drawing out three things in this text. He's saying, is there a public performance? Is there hidden devotion? And do you know about the eternal reward? Public performance, hidden devotion, eternal reward. So we're gonna start today framing it with that question, who are you performing I know some of you may have brought some along for the first time to church today. Like he's usually not this heavy, this fast. There's a lot more jokes usually. You can thank my wife that. She's like, Michael, you don't have to be funny all the time. I'm like, oh, it's great. Good freedom. But today I wanna share with you something that God has been weighing on my heart. God has been doing in me over the last couple of years. Something that He's continuing to do in me. And I pray that He would continue to do in us. Who are you performing for? Jesus starts. Is it a public performance? Be careful when you practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by man. For I tell you, you have received your reward in full, Jesus says. He's confronting a reality of that day where He uses this word called righteousness. When you practice your righteousness. Now, if I asked you how many people are practicing righteousness right now, you'd probably be like, That's not vernacular we use. But back in that day, righteousness or religiosity or being seen to be religious was a really important form of of an economic relationship. People wanted to be seen to be good people and they did that by being seen to be righteous, particularly the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would believe that righteousness meant right behaviour, that if you were doing good things, everyone could assume you were righteous, you were a good person person. And so these Pharisees would give to the poor so that people would see them giving to the poor. These Pharisees would stand up in public places and they would say, you know, they would pray in front of everyone. There's a great example of this in Luke chapter 16, um, where a Pharisee prays out loud. I think it's 16, might be 22, but prays out loud. In fact, if you go to the next slide, this is what Jesus confronts. 
He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the, everyone say, hypocrites do in the synagogues. He goes on and says, when you pray, do not be like the, come on, it wasn't that hard. Do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogue. When you fast, do not look sombre as the so he seems to indicate that these people, not only Pharisees, not only religious leaders, but anyone who's practising right behaviour in front of people, he's saying they're hypocrites. Now it's a heavy term. I don't know if you've heard the term hypocrite before, but in my day, in my job, hypocrite is something I hear a lot about the church. I don't go to church because it's filled with Hypocrites, maybe you've heard it in your workplace. And sometimes I think it's a pejorative term people have used without understanding what it actually means. So the word hypocrite actually wasn't a bad term back in Jesus' day. He's actually talking about a profession. To be a hypocrite wasn't a bad person. It was actually a, a theatre profession. A hypocrite was someone who was an actor. If you were a hypocrite, you would find yourself on stage. You might be playing a villain or a hero. You might be playing a grieved lover or, or a mighty general. But a hypocrite was an actor. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I think all those actors are hypocrites too. No, that's like, it was not a bad term. Jesus was using a common profession to diagnose a real heart situation. He was saying, those of you who come and do things so everyone can see a curated image of your life, you're a hypocrite. You're an actor. Because at some stage, end scene, the real you emerges and you hide that real you. You hide it from the world. So whilst the world is watching, the stage is set, we perform. And then when everyone looks away, we go to the dressing room of our hearts, the real you emerges. And Jesus is saying, do not live like this. Because we live in a world which thinks that righteousness is achieved through right behaviour, don't we? We even think, if you're a teenager in the room, think about how they tell you you're a good student at school because you have good behaviour. Not a good heart, good behaviour. And so we actually teach kids from a very young age, and I don't think it's a bad thing, but that good behaviour equals good relationship. And so we grow up and we realise that if I act the right way at work, I will receive relationship with others. If my kids aren't weird at daycare, then maybe other mums will invite us to play dates. If, if I come to church and I say the right thing in the courtyard, I might, I might find community. If I go to the office and I perform well and I get my metrics, then I'm in and I'll be included. Now, all those things are realities. They're not necessarily bad things, but it teaches us that relationship is achieved through behaviour. And Jesus is giving a new reality. He says, that is not my kingdom. Righteousness in the kingdom of God is not right behaviour. So uh, some of us need to hear this again today. Righteousness in the kingdom of God is not right behaviour. Right behaviour in God's kingdom doesn't lead to right relationship. Jesus came to say this, right relationship leads to right behaviour. Unlike every other environment in the world, Jesus came to say, I've come for the heart. I've come to transform, not modify. I've come because what you need isn't another to-do list of how to behave. 
You need a relationship that is not predicated on your worth, on your value. If your kids are nice to other children, if you rocked up and looked good enough at church or you're performing well at work, you need a relationship that says, you get all of me now, not on your performance, but on the performance of my son, Jesus Christ. This is the Gospel, friends. This is central. And Jesus is challenging something. Is He talking about that we should give to the poor? Yes. Is He saying we should be praying? Yes. Is He saying we should be fasting? Yes. But not as a means to access relationship with God that when we do those things, He will accept us. We do those things because He's accepted us. He accepted us before you even chose to accept Him first. This is righteousness. Do you know today, friends, that you can be considered righteousness not because you raised your hands in worship, but because the Son of God died on a cross to take away your sins. You are righteous today, not because you've given enough money to World Vision, but because the Son of God covers the lack of generosity in your life with the generosity of His blood. You are righteous today, not because you're a good husband or a good father or a good mother or a good friend, but because you have a good Saviour that in your lack, He steps into your place. This is what Jesus is trying to say. Stop performing and start being because some of us are exhausted. This lady named Lewis, I'm gonna get her last name wrong, be on the screen behind me, says this. Many feel overwhelmed, but feel, uh, feel like overwhelming failures. What is she saying here? There's many of us in this room, we're trying to perform, but really at the end of the day, we get there and I'm like, I don't think I'm enough. Only in the Kingdom of God does God say, you aren't enough and I love you anyway. Now, many of us are Christians in the room and we're like, yeah, I get it, Michael, it's the gospel, but we don't live like it's true. We live like we still have to perform. And Jesus came to set us free by inviting us into a reality, saying that the real you is the one not measured by performance, but the one that's measured by what is hidden. What is hidden? Jesus came to rescue us from the tyranny of performance that we might respond from a place of approval and grace. So the first question we need to ask ourselves today is who are you when the stage turns to black? When everyone's gone to bed in your household and it's just you and your phone, who are you? When you're alone, who are you? Jesus seems to insinuate that's the person the Father sees. And he makes this invitation, doesn't he? Into hidden devotion. Hidden devotion. A place of secrecy and intimacy. Now I want to be clear. The point of today is not that we never give to the poor and tell, when we give to the poor, we tell no one about it. The point of Jesus' words is not that when we pray, we don't tell anyone. When we fast, we don't tell people. So if someone comes up to you and they're talking about their prayer life and you're like, I'm not talking about my prayer life. That's just between me and Jesus. Go away. That's, that's not the aim. Like I'm so lovingly challenged by brothers and sisters when they give to the poor. I'm like, oh God, is that what you're calling me to? Like, I appreciate that. The point of today is not that we stop judging people on their performance. Sorry, it's not that we start judging people who are performing going, well, you shouldn't be telling me you're doing that. It's about you. And Jesus calls us to hidden devotion. I want you to picture, I have a, um, I'm married to Sarah. Or we've uh, been together for... 11 years last December. And that was so critical to get correct. She usually, she comes to 8am, she sits down the front with me, uh, sometimes takes our three-month-old out, our six-month-old out and, uh, and, and you know, nurses her. And she's lovely. Well, I have a great relationship with her. But I want you to picture that Sarah was here every service. 
and as she's sitting in the front row at every service, I start the services like this. And some churches are like this, I get this, I'm not criticising that, but I'm just saying, imagine this was true for us. That, hey, guys, before I preach today, I just wanna let you all know, my, my beautiful hot wife is just down the front. Uh, she's amazing. And, uh, oh, babe, I love you so much. You're my strength. This is how I was to be talking to start every service, right? And I said, oh, actually, Courtney, can you go get that bouquet of flowers that we've got? She's gonna bring that down the front. Um, hey, Sarah, I've got you these flowers. I love you. And uh, I just, you are my best friend. And everyone in the church going, oh, someone's going, why don't you treat me like that? And you know, all this kind of stuff. And everyone's going out, wow, Michael really loves Sarah. And then we go home. And, uh, and I get through the door, wave at the last person driving past my house. I live on site, in case you didn't know. Um, and you should forget that information. Um, and Sarah says, hey, honey, can we connect? And I'm like, no, I'm gonna go Netflix. Oh yeah, but after that, could we like hang out as a family and could you play with the kids? No. Nah. Leave me alone. I'm going to go on social media. And this kept happening like day after day. The next Sunday rolls around. I'm like, hey, church, before we begin today, I just want to love on my wife. I've got like a giant stuffed teddy bear for her. She's so beautiful and amazing. She's my best friend. You'd all start going, wow, Michael is both sickening and a good husband. Um, and then the reality is my wife would be at home going, you don't love me at all. Because who I actually am is who no one sees when no one's watching my performance. That's the reality of my relationship with my wife. And that's the reality for some of us and God. We know how to perform that people are like, wow, they're rocking up to church every week. They're doing everything they should be doing. But when the light turns to black and everything goes off and God's like, I get you. You're like, no, I get Netflix. I get anything but you. I'm running everywhere else but you, Jesus, because I've been running to you in public and now I need what really fills my soul. And it's not you, God. And we wonder why there's this distance and this dryness. And Jesus is saying, I don't want your performance. I want you. I want the thing you hide. I want your secrecy and your hiddenness. This is why Jesus says many times throughout it, it'll be on the screen behind me. He says that when you give to the poor, be up there in a second, that when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may be doing it in secret. When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. But when you fast, put on your head and wash, put oil on your head and wash, and wash your face so that you will not be obvious. What Jesus is saying here, it's not a blow by blow of how to do these things, although they're good suggestions. He's saying, friends, may the things you do in your faith and in your life be response to my relationship with you, not a way to earn it. And if you wanna know if you're earning it or if you're responding to it, don't tell anybody it's happening. Just let it be between you and me when no one else is watching. Who are you with God? Who are you? And the problem is, friends, is only you are going to know. Do I believe that people's public life is informed by their hidden life? Yes. People who are passionate about Jesus often have a passionate private life. People who are seeing fruit in their ministry and discipleship and evangelism often know what it means to go hidden places with Jesus. But in the Christian world, there's more and more people who have perfected performance and deceiving people about what's really going on. Do we not see this in Christian leadership across the world? where we see Christian leader every year after Christian leader who we love, we listen to their podcasts, we watch their ministries, like this person's amazing. And then something comes out, splashed on the front page of a paper and we're like, oh, I can't believe it. They were an amazing preacher. They healed people. They gave so much money. They did all these things. And we failed to realise that there is a, the most important part of their life is something you will never be aware of. 
who they really are in the hidden place, in the secret place. See friends, if our public performance outruns our hidden intimacy, the hidden intimacy will undermine what is happening publicly until one day at the worst possible moment, it'll be exposed and everything will come falling down. Gordon MacDonald says it like this, build below the waterline because that's one of the most important parts of a bridge structure, what people can't see. Who are you when no one's looking? This is why Jesus invites us in to the secrecy, to the moments of privacy. What is your rhythm of getting alone with God? Parents, do your children habitually see you seeking the face of God on your own? Not so they might hear your prayers, but they might know that there is a priority of a rhythm of just you and Jesus. It's nothing more confusing to a child than a child being watch their mum do this or dad do this on a Sunday and the rest of their week not even acknowledge His presence. Singles, are you good at, are you good at demonstrating a love for God and, and life, but really when you're at home by yourself, your dependency is on everything else but Him. Working professionals, are you great at saying to people you're Christians, but the reality of your heart is things are undermining and they're going on. You see this, this thing called the hidden place, the secret place is, is not just a nice idea. When I think I talk about hidden intimacy, I was writing it this week and I was getting a bit triggered that the word hidden intimacy kind of like reminds me of like Netflix's next bad rom-com, right? It's like Sullivan's Croft, crossing Virgin River and hidden intimacy coming out this summer. And it's like, cool, not watching that one. And if you like those shows, oh, oh power to you. There's, um, but there's this reality where, where we get put off by a sense of hidden intimacy. But what I wanna inform you is every single great leader, male and female in the Bible, has had a hidden intimacy with God that defined their public influence. Go back to Moses in Exodus chapter 33. And what happens is Moses has this tent of meeting where, where he sets it up outside the tent that all Israel knows that he goes and does it. See, secrecy isn't about people going, do you spend time with God? But don't you ever ask me that question. It's not about that. It's about my time with God isn't a performance. It's my time. So Moses goes away by himself, spends time in the presence of God and he inquires after God for the people of Israel. Why? Because he's leading millions of people from Egypt out of slavery into the promised land. And there's a sense where he needs to know what God is wanting and what he's saying. And also he just needs Jesus. We see Daniel. Daniel, this is your situation. He's in a secular workplace where no one's a Christian. People probably swear like troopers. It's in a place called Babylon where not only are they not Christians, they actually legalise that everyone has to worship their gods. He's got people who he works with undermining his effort every day. Hands up, no, not hands up, but you, some of you know what that's like. So what does, David, what does Daniel do? Is he working harder? Is he arriving earlier to work? Is he like, I'm gonna outlead these other people? No, what we find is that Daniel has habitual rhythm three times a day being found in the secret and quiet place with Jesus, with God the Father. So much so the only way they can come and attack Daniel is by cutting off his intimacy. They outlaw prayer. And Daniel's like, more important than what I do with you is what I'm doing in private with God. You're not taking that away from me. And when Daniel's in the lion's den, that battle wasn't won when he got into the den. It was won in the habitual rhythm of seeking God in the secret, quiet place of his heart. 
We see Mary, when Jesus is born, what does it tell us in the Scriptures? That Mary would treasure things up in her heart. What is this saying? She would have revelations about the nature of God and Jesus. And she didn't feel the need to tell everybody about her revelation. Why? Because this was a moment of intimacy between her and the Father, her seeing what God was doing, not her proving her righteousness to others, but going, man, God, you're doing something, I see it. It says that when she realised these things about Jesus, she treasured them up in her heart because this was something she was experiencing with God the Father. There's nothing more concerning than when I hear people, whenever they have a revelation in Scripture, they start to tell everybody everything that God is doing. I'm always highly sceptical of people who can't keep something just between them and God. Treasuring things up, what God's doing with me right now. And finally, we see Jesus, don't we? In Mark chapter 1, what does it tell us about the way Jesus lived His life? The God-man, the man who was perfect, the man who did all things well, the man who died a perfect death after living a perfect life. It says in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus rose early to pray. He had 12 disciples. And you're like, well, Michael, I don't have 12 disciples, but I've got two kids and that's pretty rough. These 12 disciples, one was a terrorist who hated the tax collector, who hated the blue collar fishing working men. There was a bunch of, there was high dysfunction in His followers. How did He handle it? He rose early to pray did it again in Mark chapter 6. In fact, there's a moment before Jesus reveals His divinity to His disciples. He didn't just go out with showmanship. He actually went and spent time alone with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, communing in private in a hidden secret place, going deep with them before choosing His disciples. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus spent a whole night in prayer with the Father. We have no idea what He said, but we know that very rarely, in fact, there's no record of Jesus acting outside of deep communal love and relationship with God that his public mission was defined by the hidden place, but didn't prove the hidden place. It wasn't performing it. It was a fruit of it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Luke chapter 22, we find Him in the Mount Olives, don't we? Praying away by Himself, seeking the Father's face in a moment of suffering. Friends, the hidden place isn't this sense of like a new age Christian idea. It is a biblical rhythm of life that every man or woman of God who has ever seen God do something phenomenal and amazing in and through them has never sacrificed or compromised that hidden secret place with God. Do you have one of those? And what I'm talking about right now is not just like some hidden room in your garage where you keep a share and no one in your house gets to find out where that is. I've got toddlers. If you've got toddlers, you know there's no such thing as a secret place in your house. It's like they'll find you on the toilet, man, at the worst possible moment because that's your hidden and secret place or power too. There's like this sense, right? But so what, what do I do? Well, it's not about a geographic location where like, I'm not telling anyone about that bush behind my house where I go and hide and talk to Jesus quietly. It's a place I withdraw. When my kids are awake, boom, 5 a.m. in the morning, they know where to find me. And friends, this is what I mean. I'm not performing for you. I'm just trying to scaffold an understanding of it. They know that I'm, I'm with Jesus in that moment. They can come, they can crawl on me. They can ask me for water and pull my ear and say, can we watch Bluey early? But they know there's something that Dad's doing in that time. I'm spending quiet time with Jesus. And there's stuff there that I don't need to share here with you because it's between me and Him. We all have darkness in our world. The way I handle my darkness is I make sure Jesus knows it all. He handles it all. That there is not anything I'm ever exposed of or, or worried about because Jesus and I are walking to it together every day. And seasons of my life where that hasn't been true have been some of the hardest because the hidden place gets sacrificed. Where is yours? What does yours look like? What is the consistent rhythm? John 15, verse one to five, what does Jesus say? Abide in me and I in you, and then you will produce much fruit. 
I, in Colossians 3 verse 3, Paul writes this of the relationship of the Christian. He says, I have died with Christ, not for Christ, not instead of Christ. I've died with Christ. Now my life is hidden in Him. Do you know what this means? It means that when I, when I go and I spend time with the Father, the Father doesn't look at me and see all of the failures of my previous day. If I've given my life to God, if I've given my life to Jesus, said, you take control, you're master and commander now, forgive me my sins and lead me to follow you. That when I go and I boldly enter the throne room of grace every morning or every time I need prayer, or every time before a hard meeting or when I'm driving the car and it's difficult, the Father doesn't look at me and see failure. I'm hidden in Jesus. The Father looks at me and sees the perfection of His Son because I'm hidden in Christ. And so when He looks at me and I'm calling out for help, he's, He goes, we have right relationship because what my Son has done is covered your, your failures. Your performance is His. So now ask anything of me. Let's commune together. This is the beauty of the Gospel, friends. You are hidden in Christ. You are not evaluated in the Kingdom of God by your performance, but by the performance of Jesus Christ. Who are you performing for and whose performance are you pointing towards? Mine is Christ's. Why? Because I am not good on my own. I need Jesus. A guy wrote a book called The Hidden Place of Thunder, John Stark. And he says this, we were created to live on the Father's affirmation in Christ. The affirmation of the world is a moving target, leaving us perpetually anxious and cultivating our insecurities. But the Father's voice is stable and firm, forming us into resilient people. The hidden place, we have to remember that it is what is hidden that is the foundation of what is seen. Some of us are hiding our sin, thinking that no one will know about that addiction, that self-interest, that Instagram behaviour. It is the foundation of your life and it will erode who you are. The hidden place is not a game of hide and seek with humanity where we're trying to hide from humanity who we are, but rather a place where we are seeking God so that we might hide ourselves in Him. Our private intimacy life with God should far outweigh our public intimacy with God. What does that mean? If you see people passionately worshipping Jesus, the fair assumption should be they get even more passionate when it's just Him and them. But only they will know. Because friends, here's the joy when we give to the poor, and we should regularly, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, it is not so that people think we're good Christians, but because the Father in heaven has been so generous to us that in our relationship, oh Jesus, I want to join with you in your heart for those who do not have much. Not so other people know, but because this is my, when I give my wife flowers, it's not so that you might know I love her, it's so she knows my love for her. When I care for the poor, it's because God cares for the poor. I join Him in that. When we pray, we don't pray to perform. We pray because there's something that delights the heart of God. When I wake up in the morning and I open my Word, it's not because I'm sitting there going, this is the most interesting thing I can do with my day. But as Pastor Ennis said last week, I have a regular rhythm of reading the Bible and praying why out of response to the unconditional love and acceptance of God. I wanna, I wanna bless Him. I wanna minister to Him. I wanna love Him the way He has loved me. When I fast in a couple of weeks time as a church, we're gonna enter into a week of prayer and fasting together. We don't do it because like, look how good I am. But Father, how deep can we go together? We don't perform, we respond. Where is the quiet place with God where you are responding to Him? 
Friends, what does this look like? Let me be real clear, real quick. It's so simple that Jesus actually gave us a script. That's how much He wants us to do it with Him. Hey, when you get by yourself alone in your room, you're like, I'm going to spend some time with God right now. And you're like, I don't know what to say. Jesus is like, let me help you out. Say this, our Father in heaven. Start there and allow the words to emerge from your heart. What is it that you and God need to talk about? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, I've got some stuff today. It's my daily bread. I need you to provide for me. Would you provide? Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Help me forgive those people who sinned against me, man. Let's just list some of those right now, Jesus. Tell me what that looks like. You know, you start to let your prayer emerge. You see how much Jesus wants to spend time with you. He even tells you what to say that you might access his goodness. Why? Jesus says every time we give to the poor and that's so that people might applaud us so that the Heavenly Father will reward us. We pray not so people might not say, wow, you're a great Christian, but so we might be rewarded by our Heavenly Father in heaven. Why do we fast? So that we might be rewarded. We're like, oh, Michael, I went to a church where we talked about rewards a lot and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. What, what do you mean by reward, friends? I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about physical prosperity. I'm not talking about you getting your car in your yard because you gave to poor people. No, I'm saying that the biblical understanding of reward is this. When you spend time with Jesus enough, you start to realise the greatest reward you can have is Him. Jesus chose you as His reward that you might choose Him as yours. Hebrews, what does it say? For the joy that was before Him, Jesus endured the cross. What was the joy before Christ? You, your redemption. He chose you as the reward of heaven that you might choose heaven and God as your reward. That when we get before God at the end of all things, we won't be on God, you know, I gave to a lot to the poor. Where's my mansion? That we might stand before God one day, the one we've prayed to and known the presence of. And He won't be a stranger, He'll be a friend. And we will say, you are enough. And now we have eternity together. I'm so glad we got to do charity, prayer, fasting, all good things together on earth. Now we get to do it together forever. And those of you who don't believe that Jesus and God are a good enough reward, friends, may I encourage you, start with the secret place and find out how true it is. Here's all we need. May we live our lives in response to Christ, not performance for others. Who are you performing for today? So I want to just pause and speak to two different people in the room. The first of those of you who are not Christians. And if you're not a Christian in this room, I just want to let you know that maybe you've walked in here thinking that a New Year's resolution to come into church is just another way to be a good person. And to be honest, it's, it's a really good place to start. But you don't need more behaviours and more lists of things to do. What you need is to know is that you don't have to perform anymore. Someone's performed on your behalf. Jesus takes His righteousness and He gives it to us that we might have our righteousness, our lack, our sin put upon Him. It's called imputation. It's this sense that on the cross of Jesus Christ, He takes all of our sin and shame that we might have all of His right relationship with the Father. That right now today, you can walk out of this room, not with the burden of performance, but with the freedom of relationship with the Father in heaven. Not because you've done enough, but because He's done all you need to do. His forgiveness is for you. His grace is for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. If you don't know that today, you need to be set free from public performance, then right now there's an invitation into personal intimacy with God. Do you know it? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. May the Holy Spirit begin to embolden your heart to do that. And for those of you who are Christians in this room, who when I start to talk about the gospel, you're like, I hope someone here responds. Can I ask, what are you responding with today? New life. We've gone, we've become very good at performing at times. We know what it looks like 
But do you know the sweetness of intimacy with the Father? Do you have a regular rhythm of enjoying God, being alone with Him? Because I believe God's calling us that it's time. If we want to see renewal in our nation, it's got to start with renewal in our heart. Today's the moment we stop performing and I pray we start responding. Who are you performing for today? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Gracious God, just, we just ask, would you just move right now upon our hearts? For people in this room or online, who, Father, we are burdened with the tyranny of performance, would we hear the whisper of grace saying, I'm enough. Jesus is enough. Friends, if you walked into this room today and you were overwhelmed already with 2024, some of you feel more like failures than you do like successes. You can already hear the list of things that you wish you hadn't done. And it's not just this year, it's like almost every year. God says, I want to solve your selfishness by forgiving it and replacing it with my righteousness and my goodness. And it's a gift today. It's grace, it's love. Friends, I want to ask, if you are here today and you want to respond to the grace of God and say, Jesus, I want to be set free from performance and I want to know what it means to have a right relationship with God. I want forgiveness. I want to accept your grace and I want to follow you. If that's something you want to say at the start of 2024, would you just raise your hand wherever you are right now? I'd love to pray with you. Oh, Wafi, thanks so much. Thanks so much. I see your hands. I see your hands. Just keep your hands raised. I'm just going to pray for you in a moment. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jesus. I'll wait for a moment longer. Lord Jesus, with, with hands raised right now, I just stand with these, these people who are just saying, God, right now, I'm making a decision. I'm making a decision. I pray for that man that is overwhelmed right now with, with failure. Lord, I pray right now for release and that as we pray this next prayer, he'd, he'd sense forgiveness. I pray for that woman or that mother who is just overwhelmed with a sense of duty and obligation. Lord God, I pray, would you show her how you love her and have accepted her despite, not because. So if you raise your hand today, we're all going to pray a prayer together. Would you just repeat these words after me? Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Free me from performance. Introduce me to relationship where I'm accepted and loved because of what you've done. Thank you for the cross. May I know your love, your grace, and your acceptance. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you for those people who just responded. Lord, I thank you for those people who had the courage to say, this is how I'm starting 2024. This is how I'm going to make this declaration. Lord, would they go public, not with their performance, but with the fact that Jesus is Lord. Just for the people who raise your hands, just as you stay with your hands, eyes closed, We've got people who give you a Bible straight after the service and touch base. We'd love to pray for you. Love to just celebrate that decision. But if you're a Christian in this room right now and you're sitting here and you're like, I am overwhelmed with my failure. Overwhelmed with my performance. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't know if it's true of the hidden part of me. It's only true of what people see. I want to ask you to do something hidden right now. Would you just open your hands on your lap? Just open your hands on your lap. From teenagers to adults and parents, you might be sitting going, yeah, but my teenagers are here right now. Can I say the greatest thing your teenagers can see is not a performance, but a response to Jesus. 
And Jesus, right now I pray, would you free us from the need to perform and may we feel and, and sense your love. Put in our heart the moments of our day that you long to spend with us. That we might respond to you. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.